My dear Watson, shall we don some disguises, hop in the midnight myth time machine, and go solve a ridiculously complex crime? Huzzah! What you're about to hear is episode three of the Midnight Myth podcast, Detected. This episode originally aired in February of 2017 and explored our love of detective stories, from Sherlock Holmes to Jessica Fletcher. We're publishing our back catalog, episodes 1 through 20, week by week, for the rest of the summer to give you access on your favorite platforms. All this in addition to your regularly scheduled programming. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this little blast from the past, episode 3, Detected. Episode three, um, what should we call episode three? Elementary, my dear. Detected. Detected. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> so I'm going to be perfectly transparent with you out there. I did not do a lot of research for this podcast at all. Oh, no. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing a lot of winging it. But um, this is going to be a more of a feelings podcast. Sure. <laughs> and uh, hopefully it's not too rambly and you still enjoy it. I guess the uh, the general idea is and what we were thinking about doing. We just watched the latest season of Sherlock episode or season four was season it? or series four series four. And, um, you know, I just freaking love that show and yeah. can't say enough good things about it. And this is going to be our spoilers warning for the rest of this uh, podcast episode. If you haven't watched any of Sherlock or if you haven't watched the latest episode or season, please catch up before joining us for this one because there's going to be bountiful spoilers. Yeah, we're probably going to spoil it, but we didn't want to just do a review because, right. you know, it's awesome. We all know it's awesome. So what, what else are we going to say about it? So, Derek... In our intro for this podcast, we talk about our search for the perfect story. That's really what launched us into doing The Midnight Myth, was mm -hmm. exploring our love of storytelling from the early myths and, and creation to pop culture today. Uh, and one of the things we talk about is, are we just trying to tell the same story over and over again? Once we find the good one, do we just try and tell it again and again? And I don't think there's any better example of that than the story of Sherlock Holmes, yep. uh, the character of Sherlock Holmes, who, you Agreed, know, we, we look into this and Holmes is the most portrayed fictional character of all time. He's he holds the Guinness World Record. He has been on screen at least 250 times. Uh, has it really been 250 times? Yes. Jeez, and I, I did not know that. 70 different screen actors have portrayed him over over the years. And that's not counting, you know, the countless stage productions that are out there. Uh, and and all the, the, the literature. All the literature, yeah. all the stories uh, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and all of the spinoffs thereof. And, and now I think he's in the public domain. So it's even easier to get your hands on right. uh, Sherlock Holmes. So... Just uh, to reiterate, so he's in the public domain. In terms of storytelling, uh, what does that really mean? 
You know, I've, I've heard that thrown around a lot. I, I think I kind of understand it, but and just like break it down for me. What does it mean that Sherlock Holmes is public domain? It has to do with copyright. And I shouldn't I shouldn't commit to that super hard because I don't know the uh, the full extent of the Sherlock Holmes uh, copyright uh, standing. But essentially, it just means that something has been around long enough or it doesn't have uh, like the estate doesn't hold the rights to it any longer. So it enters into a, a sort of state like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star uh, of, you know, not being copyrightable and anybody can use it. Uh, like, Does that so mean I, I could sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star right now and not I get think, sued? I think so. We should I'm not going to up. do that. I'm a bad singer. We but, should look it up first. Yeah. Uh, but Happy Birthday is an interesting example of that. Happy Birthday is copyrighted. So if you watch TV or you watch movies, nobody ever sings Happy Birthday. They'll sing a different Happy Birthday song. I knew that not, but now that you mentioned that, yeah, it's a really good example for teaching people about intellectual property law that happy birthday is not public domain. Not to get too like sidetracked and tangential, isn't it weird that a song can be owned? Yeah. Isn't that just odd? Like, and I, I, now I myself like a song, a character. So like, I've written music, I've written not books, but I've written stories. Uh, I think the most in-depth I've ever gotten to is a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. That's probably right. as deep as I've gotten. And it's odd to me that I own that, that if I wanted to, I could copyright it. And if you wanted to use it, you would have to pay me. And I get that, you know, this is how the world works. Creative right. is an industry. It's a business. People are trying to make money. And if you make good work, you should make money. Like, I'm not against that. But it is just sort of odd that after X amount of time, now no one can really own it. Now anyone can use it. But before then, you have to cut a check to someone. It's yeah. a weird system, I guess, intuitively to me. But I, I mean, not that it, you know, I, I'm just rambling about it at this point. It's we'll a, move on. It's a hard thing to kind of get your head around. But when you when you think of uh, the arts as a way that people uh, make their livelihood, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's talk. Let's talk. Dirty yeah. on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So for me, one of the, the things thinking about why does the modern incantation of Sherlock on the BBC starring Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, why does it work so well? And I think a huge part of it is that the the detective as a character is something that we all like, we all enjoy, we all yearn for it. We're drawn to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and in so many different ways and facets, whether it's Law and Order, we get to see detectives, whether it's Sherlock Holmes, who's almost like a superhero mm -hmm. with his power and his intellect, we get that. We get that sometimes in comic books with characters that have great powers of, okay, let's piece together the crime, that there's something sort of, some sort of, I guess, core hook of watching someone solve a crime that's just so unbelievably satisfying. Yeah. What what always gets to me about about mystery um, and and detective as a, a form of storytelling is especially when you watch Sherlock, too, it gets so, so deep that. The, the crimes they have to solve. Like, so you have this character, Sherlock Holmes, who is superhuman in his ability to deduce, but you also have a writer. You have Sir Doyle, right? You know, who, who composed these stories in the first place. Then you have Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis, the, uh, the creators and writers of Sherlock who are coming up with these incredible circuitous plots and then finding a way for the character to deduce its way around. And like that blows my mind because yes, I'm watching a person who has 
superpowers, figure something out. But I'm also, you know, witnessing a writer who has the presence of mind and the attention to detail to create that. And you see that, you know, it's Agatha Christie too. It's, it's murder. She wrote, it's all of that. You know, they, they pay so much attention to those details. Just mad, mad respect to murder. She wrote so right much there. respect, man. mad respect. If you don't like murder, she wrote, I, I apologize in <laughs> advance because we both love the heck out of Jessica Fletcher. And I, I would never invite her to a party. To you for, yeah, no, never invite her anywhere. Because someone's dying. Yeah. There's a great gif of her um, just picking up the phone and with a big smile on her face and it says, who's dead? <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just literally, literally chuckled there obnoxiously. Maybe I'll edit that out later. Don't, don't ever. Yeah, but so what do you think it is? Why? So I, no, I hear where you're coming from. Um, it's kind of fascinating that people can get that in-depth in writing. That's kind of what makes Murder, She Wrote work. Yeah. She's such a good detective, she can create detective stories. Right. So her ability to be that great writer starts with her being that great detective. I don't think it's the other way around, that she became a great writer, and then based off of that, she became a great detective. Yeah, she's got a mind that can can work in that kind of way, that has uh, a superior ability to... Uh, step into the shoes of others or step into previous situations, I guess. Yeah. One of the things that I liked reading just some very basic, if you Google Sherlock Holmes and why he's awesome and, and has been for such a long time, a lot of common threads come up that Sherlock Holmes, he, the character brings order to chaos. I love that. And I think that is a really interesting way to sum up the detective as a character. An event happens no one's there. People don't know what happened. It's inherently chaotic. Yeah. It's a murder. It's a crime. It's a it's a theft. Uh, and then from this, someone can come through using the powers of just human perception, reason, logic, using in, in another way, materialism, using just raw material things, being able to, to, based off of that, say, this is how the universe will play out. This is how this situation played out. And from that, we can get to the truth of the situation. And from the chaos, then there comes order. And I think that's a huge part of why the detective narrative works. Yeah. I think that's why Sherlock works so well right now, because it's no story. We don't want to comment too much on times, but we live in a weird, turbulent time. Yeah. And then here comes this amazing, witty, fun, fresh detective show. And then suddenly we all draw into the fact that, yeah, Sherlock is absolutely a just a total jerk. He's a terrible human being, but he brings order to chaos. And in, in that we, we really do enjoy and we like him and we're, we're willing to go on this adventure with him sure. and assume that he has these deductive superpowers. I think that's one of the, the things that I like the most about reflecting on, on the show um, but I won't pretend that I know the most about Sherlock Holmes as a character himself. Yeah, I and I'm not in any way an expert, but I, you know, I grew up reading the stories uh, and uh, very much enjoyed like Christmas Day watching uh, marathons of the Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce uh, films and. You know, one thing I we, we had didn't have a chance to talk about when we were prepping for this, but I would love to pay some attention to Watson as well uh, as, as we're talking about this, because I think let's do uh, it. Let's Watson it up. I love it. So one thing that I think is really important when you have a character 
or uh, or a concept that is super hard to get your head around. And I also just want to say um, one of the great things about Sherlock Holmes being having what you keep referring to as a superpower. One of the coolest things about that is that it's not a superpower. It's just an amazing mind. And so it's, it's realism, it's reality, but we get to watch this and be like, huh, if I paid a little more attention, I could do that. I don't need to get bitten by a radioactive spider. Like, yes, he is born with gifts that are advanced beyond anything I'm ever going to come close to, but I can touch that. Like that makes sense to me. Right. And Um, I think it, it grounds it in materialism. Yeah. Right. So it grounds it in, in the in the physical. He has a superpower, but it doesn't come from another universe. It doesn't come from, uh, a, like you said, a radioactive spider. It doesn't come from these like weird set of circumstances. Right. It's just literally he's a human, a full 100 percent human being who's just really, 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 really sharp and really clever and pays attention to every little detail. And has a mind palace and a drug problem. Uh, So, yeah, I wanted to say a couple of things about Watson. And I talk about this sometimes, you know, when I talk about side characters in general, I talk about sidekicks, especially when I talk about Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, But so I... I That's my boy there, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, Xander's a good guy. So I went to school for... uh, screenwriting and playwriting. And I also uh, had a minor in art history. So I'm an expert in art history. Ooh, look at you, fancy pants. <laughs> oh my God. No. The pants are so fancy in here. The fancy pants. <laughs> and we're going to play this out with Ween later. Um, but so, so you look at a painting and you look at classic, uh, classic paintings and classic pieces of art. And one thing you always look for is, uh, especially if they're group scenes or they're, they're, portraits of uh, several people, um, you look for the person who's looking at you. Uh, and, and in a Raphael, like in the School of Athens, that's Raphael. That's the painter. You, you can see his self-portrait that he's stuck in there and he's looking right at you. But you look for that person who's looking at you. And once you get them, you connect with them. And then you're in the painting. You're invited to join in and be part of this world. And I think Xander represents that in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I think Watson absolutely represents that in Sherlock Holmes and all of his adventures. Now, um, that is a awesome point. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to to stop you, (laughs) but I just thought that was a awesome, awesome point. You know, Sherlock is only real to us because there's a Watson in in the show. Exactly. In in most of the books, it's all written from his perspective. Yes. The show, it's his blog. So he is that grounding force that allows us to see Sherlock through the human eyes. Yeah. He's our narrator in every incarnation. He is our narrator and he is the person reaching out, you know, connecting with you, making eye contact. He is on the same human level as you. And he brings you in and gets you closer to Sherlock Holmes and closer to the adventure. And you can kind of live that adventure through him. And I do just want to, you know, I just want to like, raise a glass to Martin Freeman right now because we're literally raising glasses. We're raising glasses because I will say, you know, I, I do have a lot of love for BBC's Sherlock. Uh, I don't know if I can definitively say Benedict Cumberbatch is the greatest actor who's ever been Sherlock Holmes because you've got Basil Rathbone and you've got Peter Cushing and you've even got, you know, a new film from the last couple of years with uh, Sir Ian McKellen playing an aging Sherlock Holmes. And but, Robert Downey Jr. Not, uh, not making the argument that's the best Sherlock, but dude's but a great actor. I love Robert Downey Jr. Um, 
But I feel like I can pretty much definitively say Martin Freeman is the best Watson I've ever seen. Uh, I have a lot of love for that character. And, you know, over the years, he's been portrayed as bumbling and been very much kind of tripping over his own lack of intellect and and next to Sherlock is very, very uh, deficient. Uh, And not to say that he's not lovable, in all those incarnations, but I think he just, he really t- goes to another level with Martin Freeman's portrayal and with uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis's writing of him. So yeah, uh, well, yeah I think glasses raised. Yeah. Watson in Sherlock is, he's not a, just an, a, he's not a moron. He's a really smart, well-accomplished man who's a little complicated, but he is dumb next to the geniuses. He's always around, right? He's never the smartest guy in the room. And the thing that I like about him is that he's smart enough to realize when he isn't the smartest person in the room. You know, what what I do for a living, I work in technology and in leadership and in customer service, and I'm constantly surrounded by intelligent people. And I think the people that really get that say, okay, I'm not the smartest person here. I'm willing to listen. And right out of the gate, he, he senses in the first uh, episode of Sherlock, he senses that Sherlock is a genius and he's in awe. Most people are turned off. They're either repulsed by his lack of social graces or intimidated by his intellect or they're somewhere in between. You know, he's the one that's smart enough to be like, I'm curious here. I ha- I'm in the presence of a true genius. This doesn't come around every once in a while. I should learn from this character. And based off of that, they have a very genuine friendship, too. Yeah, I have a hard time uh, empathizing with that just because I always am the smartest person in a room. Oh, and see, I don't need I'm always to. The, uh... I'm always the dumbest. <laughs> that, that That's how it works. You're no. the smart one. I'm the dumb one. No, yes. no, 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 no. No, it's true. She's smarter than me. I can hear you. You are miked. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. Back to Sherlock. So let's let's talk a little minutia of this last season of Sherlock, if that's OK, because mm-hmm. I don't want this to be a review, but I feel like we covered the detective. We've covered Sherlock Holmes. We've covered how popular and awesome he is in so many different ways. I thought in this latest season, episode one and two were phenomenal. Yeah. Jaw dropping, blown away. I thought episode two was just mind blowing. So good. To me, the best episode I think they've done, at least that I can readily recall. I haven't just really, I haven't watched them all recently. Yeah. The finale. You know, you have two years in between a season. Sure. Well, I mean, you're dealing with these major A-listers that do a lot. But anyway, the finale, stylistically, and I'm going to spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, pause now, watch it, and then come back to us. The finale, to me, was the weakest episode. Stylistically, Uh it blew me away. Yeah. I thought it was... It was done so well, it, it felt like Sherlock met Saul. Yeah, a in lot this, of people have said that. In this horror way where Sherlock is now someone who constantly is fighting for control, doesn't have control. His sister is now in full control, and he has to play her game rather than him always playing the game he wants to play. It was neat the way it was done, but I felt like... and. We'll, we'll podcast about this. It started to break the rules of the universe they built a little bit. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, um, I I haven't really decided how I stand on it. I think I want to watch it again soon. Um, but definitely stylistically a departure. You have a lot of tropes of horror films and you have kind of the Saw experience in it uh, with this game that he has to endure uh from Euros, his his secret sister. Uh, but there are also so many 
you know, incredible strengths to the episode too, that I have a hard time kind of condemning it. Um, well, don't get me wrong. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Just in comparison to the other two episodes in comparison to the other parts sure. and other season finales. Yeah. Now, when I watched it, I was at the edge of my seat, so I'm not condemning yes. it. It was great. It was really different. They did something bold. But what I mean that they broke the rules, uh, not that there are any rules to this. It just felt like, okay, so Euros is just now a uber powerful super villain. Right. Who has infiltrated one prison and she's infiltrated that prison so she can come and go as she pleases. So I get that because she somehow can enslave minds. They didn't fully explain that, but she can enslave minds. Okay. I'm willing to believe that, but she did all of this other stuff. Yeah. Like, so she has all of this Moriarty footage and they kind of explain that, but they really didn't fully flesh that out. So I felt like they went for style over explaining the logic to me, which that's the break. Everything in Sherlock fits logically and neatly. This one didn't fit as logically and neatly as the other episodes. Yeah. And that's why I feel like they kind of started to bend the rules because they went for flash, pizzazz. Let's really go for the emotional core. Right. So we're going to have, you know, Sherlock call Molly and confront the emotions between those, which was moving and gripping and well acted, but not really Sherlock because yeah. he doesn't really have emotions. No, I, I agree. Um I definitely agree with a lot of what you said there. And I kept saying to you uh, in between hitting you because I was just so uh, freaked out about what was happening uh, the whole episode. But I, it felt like a Doctor Who episode to me. Uh, and Yeah, flesh that out a little. Tell me why you think it was a Doctor Who episode. Um, yeah, let me, let me finish. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I totally... My bad. Yeah, I think this, this plays into that a little bit too. But I think this whole season, they... Uh, they sort of took on this idea that they could keep using this one tool or this one uh, uh, pattern that they had. Like when, when you first get the Mary tape after she, uh, after she's gone, uh, that's, oh yeah, she had all of this stuff just planned out. And so she recorded this tape because she knew she was going to die. And so everything was the long game on Mary's end. And then you get even more of that in this episode. And you, you get so many characters playing like an extremely long game with Moriarty and Euros as well. I just hiccuped, sorry. You just hiccuped. We're drinking. We're drinking. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, but no, I'm right with you. But yeah, it, it seemed, you know, when they did it the first time, it was emotional because we would, we had just seen, we had just lost a character that we really loved and, and we got to see her again and that was really cool. But then the same kind of thing came back and it, it just seemed really implausible to me. And that kind of felt Doctor Who-y in the fact that Doctor right. Who can get really implausible. And I'm a huge, huge fan of Doctor Who. Uh, but the maths, Matt Smith seasons were extremely implausible for sci-fi fantasy. As far as sci-fi fantasy goes, it was like, okay, which, I kind of don't believe it. Which is something we will be talking about in another podcast. Sure. You can guarantee that. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to poop on our favorite shows all the time. Oh, no. And listen, the only reason I think it's worth criticizing the finale because it's because the show is that good. Yeah. If the show wasn't valuable, like I don't want to criticize something to criticize it. If it's not worth my time, I'm just going to move on. But the this season I thought was so well done and I felt so emotionally connected and invested in it that it was worthwhile to to come back and, and kind of think about it and flesh it out a little bit. You know, the second season was Sherlock on like a downward drug spiral 
and with the the serial killer in the hospital, like that felt like mm. that 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 episode just fit to me so beautifully and so well. And I loved how they were able to connect all three episodes together. Yeah. But you know, the finale I just thought was very structurally, I think, different. Yeah. Which is okay. You can do that if you do that too much. Right. And this is just me as an audience member. If you play with the structure too much, then I start to be, I start to get a little frustrated. I'm like, okay, I was bought into X thing. Now you're doing Z thing. And yeah. in another way, it's like, let's say you're watching a TV show and it's a mystery on an island because you plane crash there and suddenly you're traveling through time. Right. It's like that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I might be mentioning Lost. I don't know. Was I, I think I was mentioning Lost. And I love Lost. But anyway, that's another topic for another show too. Cool. Um, so yeah, I I think wow, we've we've had a good one. We've had a good a good little Sherlock discussion. Yeah. Um anything else you want to add or Yeah, I just wanna you, you know, I wanna give give credit where credit's due. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle really created a timeless, timeless character. Uh one thing we were just talking about with uh the fact that this character has been has been portrayed so many times by so many actors and so many great actors too. Uh, he's kind of, he's kind of like Hamlet in a way, you know, you see Benedict Cumberbatch do it. You see Sir Ian McKellen, you know, classically trained Shakespearean actor, Peter Cushing played him in uh, I think a Hound of the Baskervilles adaptation. Uh, so many, so many and esteemed. If, just uh, to pause real quick. If you don't know who Peter Cushing's is, Grand Moff Tarkin. Grandma of Tarkin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really timeless and really uh, beloved for so many years. Uh, and I think it's it's kind of amazing to see uh, to see a story really suffuse culture in that way. And uh, Derek, when we go to London, we'll have to go to 221B Baker Street to the Sherlock Holmes Museum. Absolutely. And have some have some chips. Yes. And so the first Sherlock was what, 1887? So late 19th century. Is that right? Yes, that sounds about right. So late 19th century. Yeah, he's Victorian. Right. So we're late 19th century, and now we are into early 21st century. And uh, we did just a little bit of digging. Uh, so the first episode of Sherlock mm-hmm. on BBC, when it aired, had 7 million viewers. That was 2009. In 2009. And it's now a phenomenon. Yeah. Um, oh, I think the... Uh one of the latest episodes had like nine, nine and a half million viewers as well. So yeah, super highly rated. So, I mean, it, it the goes to, everywhere and it goes to show you now, granted the modern Sherlock's all contemporary. So it's a very different Sherlock, but it goes to show you there is something that has stuck in, in our culture with a well done detective story mm-hmm. in particular with the character Sherlock Holmes. It's still going to grip us. There is some element. I don't know if I want to go so far as to say universal, um, hmm. but uh, a certainly time tested and and true that when you do the detective story right, and we have the ultimate detective, it's something that's going to hit like it's going to matter to us. Yeah. Do you think it's also the bring uh, chaos into order thing? Do you agree with that? Chaos into order and the never ending quest for truth. The never-ending quest for truth inside all of us. And he can be our champion and our torchbearer in that quest for truth. Well said. Uh, 
So uh, we're going to do a game this week. Yeah, we have a little game to play. What are we, what are we doing? Break it down so for us. So every week we're going to do this, uh, this little game where we kind of have a little questionnaire and we won't tell each other our answers before. Uh, if you've joined us for the last couple of episodes, you've heard a few versions of this. So if you, uh, if you want to play along from home, please tweet us your answers. Uh, but we were trying to think of something Sherlock Holmes related or detective related. And we thought, okay, so if you've got to go head to head with Sherlock Holmes... What detective do you want to put in the ring with him and so, why? So just to, to give a little structure so everyone knows, Sherlock Holmes, potentially the greatest detective of all time, period. When <laughs> there is a crime, there is a problem, and you need that power of perception, who do you think could go toe-to-toe or, is it, or could beat Sherlock? You want to go toe I, I think Let's toe-to-toe. Let's go toe-to-toe. Because I don't want to take Sherlock down no. in this podcast. No. I want Sherlock to have his due. Yes. So who do we think can go toe-to-toe with Sherlock Holmes in the detective-ing thing? Mm -hmm. Detective-ing thing is a new term. I just coined it. Uh, It's trademarked, and it's not public domain, so if you want to use it, you have to pay me. Anyway, you go first, Laurel. All right. So I tried not to talk about her too much this episode, but I'm putting Jessica Fletcher in there. I'm saying Jessica Fletcher can go toe-to-toe with Sherlock Holmes, and... I, I uh, j- just so everyone knows, who is Jessica Fletcher? Jessica Fletcher, portrayed by the great Angela Lansbury, is the central character of Murder She Wrote, a great television show from the you know every decade in history because it's been on for a hundred years. Um, it, ha- it has it hasn't literally been on for a hundred years, has it? N- no, but it had twelve seasons. Ooh, that's that's a lot of seasons. Twelve that's seasons, a lot of seasons. I. Uh, and, and J.B. Fletcher, Jessica Fletcher, she's a murder uh, mystery writer uh, turned detective. And every time she goes anywhere, somebody gets murdered and she solves it with a smile on her face. She's also uh, incredibly pleasant and delightful and has so many friends and family who love her and just are super happy to have her around. She's also. Go ahead. Very physically fit. Uh, She is constantly uh, jogging in the morning or riding her bike everywhere that she goes. She lives in Cabot Cove, uh, which is Maine. Maine? I believe it's Maine. Maine. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's Maine. But she travels all around the country on book tours and signings and things like that. Uh, So she is very popular, well-known, takes care of herself. Her body is a temple, unlike another detective that we know who does not treat his body as a temple. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, he's a druggie. Is one reason I would put her up against him because I think their powers of mind may be a little bit, you know, I think he does have the upper hand in terms of the power of perception. So if you were to like score intelligence, intelligence plus plus Sherlock Holmes, a little minus Jessica Fletcher. Yeah, because she's still, she's incredibly, incredibly uh, capable and she has solved more crimes than any other TV detective I can imagine. Uh, but I think the the fact that she, you know, has the confidence in herself and has a, a a baseline of empathy for other human beings that I think surpasses him. Uh, I think she would have, you know, a pretty good time of that. And, and regardless of who wins this battle of wits, this epic battle of wits, they're going to go have some wine and cheese later, or they're going to go, you know, skip some rocks in Cabot Cove. They're going to have a great time. And it's going to end with a freeze frame hanging. It does end with a freeze frame of everybody smiling. That's how I feel. 
I, I just don't see Jessica Fletcher and Sherlock Holmes enjoying each other's company. Well, I guess Sherlock Holmes and the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes, I don't see him hanging with Jessica Fletcher. You've seen him in Mrs. Hudson. He would love her. He would love her. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not into I don't buy it. I'm All just right. I, now now they, they're a detective battle. I I I I guess I see where you're going. You know? I guess I, I, I wouldn't ever go Jessica Fletcher versus Sherlock Holmes ever. Okay. Ever. You don't have to. Because well, we've never seen Jessica Fletcher go against someone of the likes of like Moriarty. You know, like she's never had to cross a supervillain. So I feel like. Well, that's not what it's about. In a, in a way it is your powers of detection in the ultimate test. She hasn't had to face that ultimate test. That's true. That, that's but all I think I'm if saying. she did. She would delight them so much that they would turn from their life of crime and confess everything through tears. Okay. Um, I, I, well done. So, uh, yeah, I would like your answer. In a battle of wits, who would you put toe-to-toe with Sherlock Holmes? I think I know who you're going to say. Well, I think anyone who knows me and anyone who knows detectives in literature knows the right answer. Batman. Batman. I knew it. I knew yeah, it. Yeah, we did not discuss this ahead of time. Batman is to me, if Batman had a superpower, because it's not it's not super strength, he can't fly, it's his abilities of detection. And I think his abilities of detection uh are on the exact same par as Sherlock Holmes. So I think given all things being equal, you put them in the same problem with the same struggle, they're gonna be on an even footing. Yeah. Um, and Batman also has this other weight in his universe that he has to contend with beings of incredible superpowers that don't exist, where Sherlock Holmes doesn't really have that 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 problem. So with that, then he, Batman has all of these additional skills. He's a trained ninja. He is a te- master of technology. Uh, he's the master of gadgetry. And with all of that, plus his powers of detection makes him, I think, the one person that could ever out detect Sherlock Holmes would be Batman. I don't know if he could, but if there's one person that could that I would bet on, I would bet on Batman in that in that battle. I would say Batman would win. Uh, Wow. Yeah, I, I would I would argue that now I think. Batman in like movie culture is definitely more of a superhero who beats things up. Yeah, so I never, like, I never, I've never thought of him as a detective, but with your perspective, that really shines a light on uh, kind of why he fits into that universe because that's really what makes him super special. So, yeah. Exactly. I was drinking wine. So, sorry for that. I'm back. Um, yeah, exactly. So, to me, Batman is the, the, be- and, and the only reason I, I don't necessarily know if Batman could out detect Holmes, I don't know. I'd say they might be a wash, but he's got so many awesome Batman things that he can do on top of that mm-hmm. that I go with Batman. He has a nice car too. Batman does have a nice car. I think it's a moba- mo- mobile, yeah, mobile, mobile, mobile. How do you- a Batmobile? Oh, a Batmobile. He has a Batmobile. Yeah. So no surprise. I'm going with Batman. I think we are going to do a very Batman heavy themed podcast at one point because, sure, you know, he is the ultimate superhero, I think, in pop culture. OK, I think that's worthy to talk about at some point in some time. Sure. But yeah, I think that's it. I think that's episode three. Elementary, my dear. Detected. Detected.
did. We'll, we'll decide and, and you'll see. And guys, hit us up on our website, www.themidnightmyth.com. Just midnightmyth.com. www.midnightmyth.com. And hit us up on Twitter with your responses to our battle of wits at The Midnight Myth. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Any parting words, my friend? Yeah, until next time, be kind. Be kind. 